You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. Welcome, everybody. I was going to do a nice packaged beginning to this podcast episode, but I really want to get to our guest today. So I'm just going to, uh, we're just going to do that. (laughs) Keep it a little little bit fast and loose today on the podcast. Today's guest is Asha Daya. Asha is a TV host, a blogger. She is Indian by ethnicity, born in the UK, raised in Australia, and now resides in Hollywood. She has hosted shows for Fox, MTV, MSN, Disney, Nickelodeon, TV Guide, and MySpace. Remember MySpace? She's worked behind the scenes on five seasons of America's Next Top Model. And her most recent venture, which we will be talking about, is uh, creating Girl Talk HQ, as well as a docuseries on women's rights and the abortion uh, conversation. So let's dive right into this conversation. It's a fantastic one. Thank you all for being patient. I know I haven't got these episodes out as quickly as I would have liked to have, but um, but we're doing it. We're back at it. I'm Sean DeRager, and welcome to The Armchair Philosopher. Well, joining me on The Armchair Philosopher today, I'm privileged to have Asha Daya on, and it's been a long time coming. uh, We kind of crossed paths on Twitter, I think last year, and uh, and it's finally, it has realized for you to be a guest on the podcast, so welcome. Thank you for having me, Sean, and I'm literally sitting in an armchair, so this is perfect. It's perfect, yes. (laughs) I need to somehow find an armchair that I can sit down and comfortably record, but... uh, that hasn't materialized just yet. But, uh, uh, that should be you know, your headshot. Oh, that should be know, like, the, well, like the podcast image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm, I'm yeah. starting to work on the studio a little bit more. So that definitely will happen. But So thank you for joining me today. And there's just so much to talk about. And uh, especially with like the current political climate and things like that, you have been focusing recently on reproductive rights. And uh, we will be talking about you, you, uh, kind of crowdfunded a docu-series called Life at All Costs. So I, don't, I definitely wanted to, uh, to talk about that. But, um, but in your bio, you did mention that you came from an evangelical background and you left that uh, a few years ago. So I kind of wanted to get your, your story first before we jump into the docu-series and, and, and that, that subject. So, um, so I guess I'll turn it over to you. Where, what, uh, what kind of church were you involved in and what kind of was the catalyst for you kind of stepping away? Yeah, sure. So I was born in England and I grew up in Australia and I've lived in the United States for 10 years. And so growing up in uh, Australia, I I moved there when I was eight with my family. And so most of my formative years, you know, school, life, all of that was in Australia. It it was never a political landscape, you know, being religious. Um, And the two biggest religions are 
you know, Protestant and Catholic. And so we were very involved in our local church. Um, and there were always smaller churches, nothing big. And it was part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So there was like a heavy focus on missionaries and evangelicalism. And so when I moved to the U.S. in 2008, um, I mean, I'll just rewind a second. I was involved in like Bible study, singing on the worship team, teaching Sunday school, going on camps, um, you know, church lunches, uh, youth groups, all of the things that most evangelical people who grow up in that world are familiar with. So when I moved to the U.S. to further my television career, um, I've worked in media for um about 16 years now, mm. straight out of college. And so I moved here and, you know, one of the first things that was a priority for me other than looking for work was to find a church because that was just the thing you do. That's your community. <laughs> and I had no idea how political the evangelical world is here. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined a large church in Los Angeles. So yes, even in Los Angeles, in California, there are um, a lot of conservative areas, and I didn't know anything about politics, even though I moved here in 2008, which was, as everyone knows, uh, an, a presidential election year, oh, you man. know, a, a major one. And, you know, elect, electing the first black president was, was a big deal. I mean, we saw that in the news in Australia, you know, in the lead up to November, but it never registered to me. And I got married at the age of 24 because in the evangelical world, the whole, you know, purity culture, no sex before marriage thing. P.S. Everyone's having sex before marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're rushing to quickly get married. So what they're doing yeah. won't be as bad. <laughs> yeah, which it's, you know, that's, it's even worse, uh, you know, just getting married to have sex, which sadly, I know a lot of people who did that yes. and their mm-hmm. marriages did not work out. Yes. Um, but I got married because I thought, okay, well, I'm into this guy, he's into me and we're both Christian. So who cares about anything else, right? Everything's just going to work itself out. Wrong. (laughs) Um, So I got married. I got very involved in that church. Um, Same kind of thing, singing on the worship team, involved in, I was leading a Bible study. I did like theology classes, elective classes, nothing to get accredited, but all of those things. And then I ended up going through a divorce um, about four, four and a half years later because this marriage became very toxic and abusive. And so when I left the marriage, I decided to leave the church as well because I just didn't want to be around any of that. And as a result, I kind of, that that's when I started to realize all the things that I was involved in and was seeing and digesting as part of that community was really, really political and not the kind of things that represented me as an individual. And as I kind of started associating with other groups and different networks in a different part of LA, I started to form different political and social opinions about the world and even about spirituality. And I was like, okay, none of those people and none of those things that the church, you know, really stood for, a lot of the big things didn't represent me. And you know, they would hand out flyers during election time telling people, encouraging people, quote unquote, how to, and this is an exact quote from the, the head pastor, how to vote right, wink, wink. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, at that time it was about um, Prop 8, which was the big um, marriage equality mm-hmm. um, proposition in California, which, um, you know, marriage equality got defeated. And then it, you know, and then it, well, it, it was up. Gay marriage was defeated, then it got upheld, and it, you know it was going through the whole transition until yeah. 2015. And so I, that was very clearly in my mind. I was like, "Oh, this is this politics thing is very 
important to the church here. Okay, okay. And I just started adopting these like lines and values and thoughts that I never really put a lot of thought into or research. None of that was really encouraged. It's just right. this is our stance on abortion. This is our stance on gay marriage. This is our stance on sex before marriage and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> it wasn't until I left that environment and just started hearing different perspectives and associating with different people, I was like, okay, there's more to this, especially the abortion issue, than, you know, what was what I was taught. And so right. that kind of led me on a journey to really deconstruct a lot of the conservative values um, that I grew up with, but also like really question, okay, am I a Christian? Like, am I spiritual? Do I believe in God? And if I do, what does that look like? And all of those things. And I, I'm still on that journey because <laughs> I feel like everything that encompassed my evangelical upbringing was kind of put on me. And so now it's like me at the age of 35, figuring all that out for myself, which right. is exciting. Right. Yeah. I've, I've been on that same journey for about uh, six years and that uh, 2008 was kind of the big year for me to really start unraveling and deconstructing all that. And the gay mm. marriage issue was huge for me because I knew, you know, I had gay friends. Um, I saw yeah. how, how important uh, this was. And, and I saw the, the, the conversation, it wasn't a conversation. It, mm. it, you know, it was, this is against God or whatever, and yeah. this is going to, drive our political values and it was like in the evangelical church especially there's not room for nuance yeah it's, uh and it, and and i've always been someone who has embraced nuance even when i was in that culture i always butt heads oh, wow. butted heads with you know leaders and things like that and um and so yeah so 2008 for me was a big uh, i think around the time it's around the time i started this podcast i'm my i don't have that in front of me but it's been about six years ago i guess but uh, I remember 2018. Well, that's 10 years ago now. 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're older than we think, Sean. I know. I know. Every year just kind of blends Flies together. by. Yep. Yeah. So, but yeah, but that's the thing. Like with the evangelical fundamentalist culture, you're not uh, encouraged to cross-pollinate and talk to other people in different denominations or religions. And, uh, and that, for me, the past... Uh, take 10 years now, uh, has been the most enriching part, I think, of my journey is embracing mm. other people and learning about their journeys and their, and their beliefs. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I love that. It's so beautiful just to know that. It, it, it's crazy how you said that. You, we're not even encouraged to learn about different denominations within the larger, right. you know, evangelical Christian umbrella. It's like, why are we so stuck in these silos? Like, you know, if we believe that God exists and that he made humankind all different and nuanced and wonderful and complex, then why, why are we so afraid to embrace that and just accept it, you know? So, yeah. so I, I wanted to, to dive into, um, so you, you have a docu-series that you have started to work on and um, you crowdfunded it through Seed and Spark, and it's called Life at All Costs. And what I really, really love about uh, what I've read about this is that you're going beyond that that partisan divide, that right versus wrong, that Bible versus, you know, that, that whole, because hmm. this conversation always goes one way or the other. 
And I've seen it with my own family, with my with my in-laws. Um, when we talked, when Trump was running for president and we were talking about <sighs> this and they didn't like him. But I was like, well, why are you voting for him? Yeah. And they're like, well, we can't Abortion. vote for you. Exactly. That, mm. that was the catalyst. Abortion and the Supreme Court. Because the, yeah. because the Supreme Court justice could change the conversation or change the tide on abortion rights. Um, but it's like they say abortion rights, but it's it's uh, <laughs> it's women's rights. And I'm like, I don't have a well, say. Well, it's also the right to privacy, which yes. is, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said it really well in her confirmation hearing. She's like, it's not about the right to abortion. It's about mm -hmm. the right to privacy, yes. which is what plant, um Griswold v. Connecticut was about, what Planned Parenthood v. Casey was about, and Roe v. Wade was about. It's like the right to privacy, which you think all conservatives, gun-toting, Bible-loving conservatives would love that, you know, that idea of individual, rugged individualism and privacy and freedom to make your own choices. Mm -hmm. But why not when it comes to women's bodies, you know? So, right. yeah. What sparked um, this docu-series, I know that this has been something that's been on your mind and yeah. I'm so excited that you guys did get the green light for that. And you're in it. Like with all these things, everyone wants to see it now, but these things take time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they what do. What was the initial I mean, spark for this? Yeah, that's a good question. So it was around 2015 when those um, really badly edited Planned Parenthood videos came oh. out. I think there was about 10 of them from uh, an extreme right-wing anti-choice, anti-abortion group, and they were reportedly claiming that Planned Parenthood is selling baby parts. <laughs> and just as a side note, multiple Republican-led investigations found there was no evidence of that, both on a federal level and state level. Um, and so because of the conversation that, you know, even though these investigations found no wrongdoing on the part of Planned Parenthood, the damage was done and the damage was the narrative. And so the narrative was that Planned Parenthood's evil. And so in a sense that even though the guy who made these videos and went undercover got indicted for fraud, um, he's held up as a hero because he has now, you know, and a, for, from his efforts, he's that there have been multiple states that have tried to defund Planned Parenthood and stop federal dollars going to them, even though there are so many Planned Parenthood clinics around the country that don't even do abortion, FYI. So it's, it's kind of dumb. But anyway, so the, <laughs> the conversation around that it was a lot of noise on the internet. And I was still kind of coming out of the church environment. I, was, I still had a lot of close ties with friends and many of them would post articles like, we all know Planned Parenthood is selling baby parts. And I was just like, oh gosh, this is just ridiculous. And I was still kind of forming my own thoughts. But then there, I, I read a couple of blog posts from really thoughtful uh, Christian bloggers of these women who were like, okay, well, let, let's look at the scenario. Say abortion is banned and no one is allowed to ever get an abortion ever again. What, what's going to happen? Are, mm -hmm. are we ready, Christians? You know, she's speaking to a Christian audience. Are we going to line up at these foster care centres and adopt these kids? Are we going to ensure that um, pregnant women have all the medical support that they need? And I was like, wow, this is really, this is great. Yeah. Is, is this what we're, pre you know, this the, the anti-abortion side is prepared to do? Generally speaking, no, because right now we still have over 400,000 kids in foster care. And why aren't they all adopted in a country of 300 million people, you know? Yeah. Um, so that kind of started the wheels turning for me. And at that point in my career, I had been working for various um, digital platforms and um, TV shows behind the scenes and in front of the camera. But I kind of was 
because I had just gone through a divorce, I was in a period of transition in my life. I knew I wanted to do something with my media experience, but also use my newfound passion for, um, you know, like coming out of a religious conservative environment and try to combine it all. And so when this, um, this, you know, this Planned Parenthood conversation started happening, I remember putting my views out there on social media and in public, you know, I would have arguments with different friends and uh, people from the conservative community, but privately it was a different story. I had friends from my former church, women telling me that they had had an abortion, some who had had multiple abortions, but they could never tell anyone. I was like, well, now this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Why, why do you feel comfortable telling me only now that I've left the church and I no longer call myself a conservative evangelical why are you so afraid to go to the very community that you spend most of your life in? And so that kind of got the wheels turning for me. And I started doing more research about all sorts of, beyond just abortion, but around adoption, around uh, the access to birth control and, you know, maternal health care and the sex education, how that kind of landscape or lack thereof leads to different rates of abortion or teen pregnancy and poverty. And I was like, this is not a black and white issue at all and this needs to be explored in a way that is nuanced and shows the complexity and shows that the majority of women who get abortions in America, roughly 60%, are already mothers. You know, there's this narrative like all those liberal sluts out there using abortion (laughs) as birth control. I'm like, come on, no, it's, it's your friends, it's your colleagues, it's your mothers, it's your aunts, it's your sisters, it's people. Every, there's a great saying, everybody loves someone who has had an abortion. And that is true mm. even in the religious communities. I think there was a, um, a Christian resource called Lifeway Research. They did a study and found that more than four in 10 women um, were churchgoers at the time they ended a pregnancy. And they had a really great quote, which says, Many women with unplanned pregnancies go silently from the church pew to the abortion clinic, convinced the church would rather gossip than help. And I think that's so true. I mean, we've all sat in churches where they talk about abortion and it's just, oh, it's so sad. Millions of babies have been aborted and they liken it to the Holocaust and this and that. And it's like there are women in your congregation who are you know, desperate for that same community and support. And you've just put the nail in the coffin and tell them, told them to stay silent. And that's, that's a real shame. So I thought, okay, there are so many topics here that need to be explored. I've got a voice. I've got a background in media. I'm going to start working on a docu-series. Anyway, long story short, I, um, I've been putting together a series called Life at All Costs, Going Beyond Pro-Choice Versus Pro-Life. And I'm trying to look at you know, how do we kind of go beyond these very binary labels that I don't think fully represent any sort of spectrum of human life? I mean, I know many pro-choice women who are like, I'm never going to tell anyone what they should do with their body, their business, but I personally am uncomfortable with the idea of an abortion. I don't really know much about it. And it's like, that's okay. And, you know, people say, "I, I don't know if this label or that label fully encompasses who I am. And it's like, yeah, we need to have a new narrative. And so that's what I'm trying to explore by you know, bringing together experts and change makers, having these honest, compassionate conversations face to face and, you know, finding the nuance and also showing compelling personal stories that show the complexity and show audiences that it's not this black and white issue. We can't, abortion needs to stop being this single issue that we vote on as a country because it's just dividing us more and more and more. And it's not actually saving babies. It's not helping women. It's not valuing families. And so my, my heart is to 
of course, reach as many people as possible, but I don't just want to preach to the choir. I really do want to yeah. reach, you know, some of the for- people from my former church and the like-minded people like them. And and there have been a lot of really great documentaries and series and episodes about abortion and reproductive rights. There's one on Netflix right now, which I think everyone should watch. It's called Reversing Roe, and it's all about how there has been this religious right crusade to undo Roe versus Wade and you know, with the current conversations around, uh, you know, the the presidential election and then the Supreme Court was what's at stake. And now with Brett Kavanaugh in Anthony Kennedy's seat, that documentary shows how, you know, the, just the, the goal of overturning Roe versus Wade has been in the religious rights agenda for a long, long time. And when Sandra Day O'Connor was um, nominated and confirmed, a lot of conservatives thought, okay, great, she is going to be the one that will vote with the anti-abortion conservatives on the bench, but she didn't. And so I'm not saying that I don't think, I have nothing good to say about Brett Kavanaugh at all, but the the goal of just voting for Trump because of his Supreme Court nominees and then, you know, getting Brett Kavanaugh and supporting him there's no guarantee that he's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. So, you know, to all the conservatives out there, what are you going to do to fill the gap? Like, if that's your only goal and that gets overturned, is it going to stop abortions? No. So what else are you going to do? You know, if you, they've largely won legislatively, but culturally they're losing big time. And that's where the real battle is. And Mm -hmm. if, if we're not speaking to the culture, we're not speaking to our friends and colleagues and getting away from this divisiveness, then at the end of the day, women, and especially low-income women and women of colour, including women in, in our churches, are bearing the ultimate cost of our divisiveness. And so that's what I want to see changed with, you know, the conversations that I hope to be having in this series. And, um, yeah, I don't have a date for when it's going to be released. It's still early stages, and I'm talking to production companies, and I'm hoping to pitch it to a big network or a platform mm. and and reach a wide audience. So. That yeah. was a very long description of no, saying it's, good. <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, what's and that's what kind of struck me with what you're trying to do is by trying to reach everyone because the this the partisanship uh the 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 dialogues aren't working. You know no. what I mean? Being so we're so divided that the even the, um, you know, the resist hashtag, you know, resist or whatever, um, it's not it's not working. It's not bringing us to a table to have a conversation. And everyone's so divided, they don't want to work together. And It's like resist and then what? Like what, what's yeah. your call to action then? Like you can't just be against something. You have to be for something. And I think that's why Obama was so such a magnetic candidate because he wasn't like anti this, anti that. It's like hope, change, yeah. like we're moving towards something. And that's what... I mean, I'm I'm all for resisting, but then what, you know? <laughs> well, there has to be, and, and there has to be, change can't happen through um, that sort of opposition, especially this this kind of change and something that is so, um, I always use, I use the word nuance. I feel like I've been using the word nuance yeah, so much, it's but it's, but it's, it's so true because there's so many wheels turning with, with these types of issues that it, it you can't just turn it off or turn it on. You you have to have people from the inside making change. Yeah. People people in the Republican Party, people even in the Democratic Party, people in any yeah. other parties, people in the churches outside the churches. 
We need mm-hmm. to come together and really tackle the issue because keeping it all separated in our based on our personal beliefs, nothing's going to change. We're all going to stay in our little bubbles and and nothing will change. And, and, and the people that are hurting, going to be hurt the most are our children born, you know, given to, for adoption, yeah. are women who need, a, who they're, what changed my, helped change my mind was hearing stories of women being given the choice of either you live uh, and your, and your fetus dies or the, the fetus lives and you die. And in mm, that sort of gosh, scenario, like, you know, what's the right thing to do in that scenario? And, and nobody, what if that woman already has other children, you know? Right, right. What, um, so far, what have been some of the stories that uh, have impacted you most as far as like, um, can you talk about any of the women that you talk to in, in churches and like that? Um, specifically, what's an example of a story that's not, you know, cut and dry? Yeah, right. Um, and we're, so because it's still an early stage of production, mm-hmm. we've been, doing preliminary interviews. Um, but we haven't like filmed with, you know, we haven't like filmed all the episodes yet, but some of the stories that I've personally had access to, through, you know, my own networks, um, especially on the conservative side, you know, from the church side, there was a friend of mine whose mother had a couple of abortions. And so when she ended up having her children and my, my friend, she always kind of instilled in her, you know, if you ever get pregnant, just don't have an abortion, you know, just have the baby. And she was brought up in a very conservative culture, grew up going to purity balls and all of that stuff, had no sex education, was never taken to a gynecologist hmm. and started having sex at age 18 with no knowledge of how her body works. And uh, she was telling me this story. She laughs about it now. She's like, you know, my first boyfriend, I remember – giving him a blowjob and I thought I was going to get pregnant and we both (laughs) laughed. I was like, it's funny, but also sad. But anyway, she ended up having, she, she ended up getting pregnant and because she knew that she wasn't supposed to have an abortion, she ended up marrying the guy, not really knowing who he was. And he ended up being abusive. She got pregnant again. Um, but she was married to this guy. And so eventually she kind of, and her parents didn't want her to get divorced. And meanwhile, she's trapped in this abusive marriage because of all the things she was taught about, you know, not having an abortion. And, you know, she's, I I applaud her for the choices that she made and she has a beautiful family, but just the other aspects of it that was tied into it, like abuse and not having a support system and, you know, her parents being so rigidly um, tied to the rules as opposed to their daughter who was hurting, you know, she wants people to know that, especially parents in the conservative community, don't be so resistant to comprehensive sex education. Mm -hmm. Like your kids should know about this stuff and you can actually reduce abortion rates by, you know, making sure they know about how easy it is to get pregnant. And she says, you know, in the interview that I did with her, I didn't know how easy it was to get pregnant, um, but now I do. And so I think that's really important. Another friend of mine who I interviewed, she was a girl who would go on missionary trips to Africa and Indonesia, and she was a very vocal pro-life uh, youth leader and church leader, and um, she ended up, and she's very open about a story, and she ended up having a one-night stand, um, and she got pregnant. Um, she also got an STD. She actually mm. wrote a blog post about it on my on my website because um, she really wants people to know more about this, and she um, her first decision when she when she was faced with an unplanned pregnancy as an unwed 
church girl was, I'm just going to go down to Planned Parenthood, get an abortion, you know, quote unquote, get rid of my mistake. God's going to forgive me and I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to be good. I'm like, let's just unpack that a little bit. (laughs) You know, you're saying these things outwardly, but then inwardly when this, you know, crazy circumstance happens to you, you know exactly where the clinic is where you can A, get an abortion and a safe one too. And so, you know, just those kind of discussions I want to have. And and to her credit, she's very open and she wants to, you know, tell other people in her community, you don't know other people's stories. You don't know the different factors that go into people choosing abortion. And that's what we need to talk about. I'm like, yes, that's where we need to start. You know, it's not just People don't just pregnant people don't just wake up one day and like, I'm gonna have an abortion. That sounds like a great idea. It's like <laughs> so many different things that tie in. And so these story, I think it's all about story because mm-hmm. I can tell you facts after facts after facts. I'm such a like a data nerd. <laughs> even though even though I'm not good at math, go figure. I don't know how that happened. But it's these real everyday individual stories that are going to have the most the biggest impact on hearts and minds, because it's easy to think of abortion and those people and the others as this like huge monolith, like the liberals, the conservatives. But once you kind of take out individual people and learn about their story and learn about their fears, their pain and their anxieties and their triumphs and their successes, all of a sudden they're a human being and it's so much harder to hate them. And so that's kind of what I want to, that's what I'm attempting to do by showing these profiles and these stories of people who exist in the complexity and the nuance of life. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just, I'm a de- Democrat, I'm a liberal, and I've done this, that, that. It, it's, there are so many boundaries that are crossed and, you know, hum- human beings are like that. We're not just, we are nuanced. Um, I think that's the yeah. word of the, the interview, nuance. <laughs> I know. I, I've, yeah, I've started using it a lot more this year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, I feel like our, our culture, our culture with social media with more podcasts with um with more options for entertainment and news and everything and everything like that we are hearing story more yeah and it's getting harder and harder for institutions to basically force feed a certain perspective mm-hmm. because we have so much access to people's personal stories i've learned so much about people uh about myself just through you know just through certain people on twitter Putting a, a very yeah. important thread on Twitter about uh, about abuse that they've suffered, uh, about their story of you know the resistance they got when they uh, came out that they were you know gay or or lesbian or, or whatever. Like mm. you you hear these stories from these people, and it really does connect you to them, and you can you can at least empathize, maybe not understand fully, but you can at least empathize, and you see that that their that story. And it's yeah. it's so important to uh, to the dialogue, I think. And I'm, I'm I really love what what you're doing with uh, this docu series. And you know, I keep my fingers crossed that this thing uh, thank you happens very very soon. Let's. Um, so on top of this, you also do you run a uh, a website? Uh, let's see, Girl Talk HQ, and yeah. uh, you definitely your you know uh, are. Uh, you definitely have jumped into more into the activist role for feminism and racial justice and and things like that. What um what when did you start Girl Talk HQ and what's the what's the um what is the main I guess I'm having a brain blank right now. 
Um, <laughs> the main goal. <laughs> what is the main goal of, of Girl Talk HQ? So I started it around 2012 and it was initially like a Tumblr page. Um, and this was around the time I was leaving the church, going through a divorce. And one of the things that I, and you know, my career was kind of, I didn't know where it was going. I was in a very transitional period. And one of the things I was really craving was sisterhood. And although I had a community as part of the church, when I left, all of a sudden that no one from that church called me, all the friends that I thought were my friends, no one called me to check up on me. And I was like, well, that's, that's really sad. I feel I was, I felt very alone. I mean, I'm in a country, I'm in a city where my, my family lives across the other side of the world. And so that's why I started kind of plugging into different groups like women in film, women in media. And I found, you know, a new group, but one of the things that I really wanted to hear and experience at that time was what were other women going through? Were there other women who had left the church and gone through a divorce and had been through an identity crisis and how did they deal with it? And I was like, there needs to be more women's stories, voices and experiences in the media in a way that is equal to a lot of other mainstream media topics. And this was at the time, at that time, there was some feminist blogs and mm -hmm the current female empowerment wave was like just beginning to kind of crest, I guess. And so I started Girl Talk HQ. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to start a platform and share stories that I find online and write about stories about women that I know who are just doing amazing, badass things, life-changing, culture-changing things that should have more of a voice out there. And and it kind of grew from there. Basically, I... I um, decided to make it into a proper website, not just a Tumblr page, and um, decided that, okay, I'm going to write and share and curate content about the stories that I want to see and that I've been wanting to see for a long time. And and that's kind of how I discovered feminism. And I was I never really knew much about it other than it's this awful thing that <laughs> we, in the, we in the church don't like. And now I'm like, you mean equality for every, all right. genders? Uh, I'm all for that. Sorry. Uh, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, look, there's there's extreme thoughts and actions in any sort of movement, but the majority of people who call themselves feminists are, you know, trying to fight for a world that is more equal for everyone, for men, women, transgender people, non-binary people, everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's essentially what Girl Talk HQ awesome. is about. And today I call it the headquarters of um, you know, women's voices and female empowerment voices and stories. Awesome. And that's so needed. That's so needed because I mean, I, I feel like these types of spaces were only relegated to, you know, daytime television or like the view right. and things like that. Yeah. And, um, it's just, I mean, it's funny because like, I've always, uh, considered myself, you know, a, an ally in the feminism movement and that's just how I was always, and I wasn't necessarily, I guess, raised that way. I mean, I was raised to, you know, to respect, um, to respect women and, and all, and all that good stuff. I was raised in a Christian home and we, we were raised, we weren't raised with like this patriarchy thing. Um, right. and which is one thing that I can really credit my parents for doing because they, um, they didn't. They didn't beat down the fat the, the the idea that oh the man is the boss and the woman needs to listen or anything yeah. like that. Mine so did neither, which is which is good. Yeah, that's good. I really had a, a great relationship with my mom, and I so I kind of got the both sides, uh, both perspectives from both of my parents in kind of an equal way. And when my mom would be upset at my dad, she would talk to me about it. 
her feelings of being <laughs> upset. And I would kind of learn, you know, I would learn that there's, there is two sides to, to this conversation. And, and I've never been wrapped up in that, but, but I've no, but I, you know, but, but growing up, you notice that, oh, wow. Um, all these news shows, all this, you know, everything is so, uh, tilted towards the male perspective. Yeah. And I'm, it's, I'm, I love seeing kind of the shift in the culture and it's so needed with, with everything with, I mean, look at cis white males need to step back for a while. That's, that's how I feel. <laughs> Just take a back seat for a bit and, and let's, let's see this culture really move towards full equality because, uh, the, the, the other way is not working, you know? Yeah, I think it's, and it's not about, and I understand that some people are like, oh, so what do you mean? Like you're going to diminish straight white men. It's like, <laughs> no, let's share the power around. Yeah. Let's have like a middle out effect where everyone has a piece of the the pie and everyone has a seat at the table. Like that just makes the world such a better place and more welcoming, inclusive place. And I think there's a really great quote that says, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like a threat. And I think that's so true. Mm. And like you, I wasn't raised in a, even though my family are Indian and we were Christian, but strangely enough, my dad, more so than my mom was always, don't ever give up your career for a guy. And that's all stuck <laughs> with me. And I was like, wow, that's so subversive to like the rest of the evangelical culture. And even like the conservative Indian culture is very, very patriarchal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, there's this idea that, you know, if more people have a seat at the table, it's going to muddy the waters. Well, yes, it is in a good way. And so I think that it's a threat to a lot of religious structures as well, because look at the majority of leaders in the conservative, evangelical and larger Christian and Catholic churches, it's yeah. white men. And, yeah. you know, they've been able to, I mean, that's kind of what America was built on. Let's get away from those leaders who are trying to dictate what the Bible says and all this stuff. But, you know, yet here we are. <laughs> but it's like, how do we kind of make, if, you know, for those people who are calling themselves more progressive and moving away from those more conservative um, ideologies, they who want to make change within those religious institutions, it's like, how do we make the Bible a more inclusive message, excuse me, for everyone and for those of us who are still kind of figuring out, you know, do we fit in that space? Are we non, non-religious? Where are we? It's like, how do we kind of use our voices and resources where we are to kind of foster those ideas of equality? And like you said, social media, podcasts, blogs, um, YouTube, everything has just made it such a democratic process in terms of like the voices that are allowed to be heard. And so it is really exciting to be living in, in mm. this time where we all have access to a platform. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been, uh, we've started going to a, a UCC church, United Church of Christ, oh, yeah. more of a progressive church. And just being in that space has been so healing to me and my family because we are around this, um, you know, just so many perspectives. Are the pa pastor's a woman. Uh, I think most of the, uh, like the leaders, um, the core group of, of leaders of, of the church is very, very small church, like 20 people, but, um, mostly, mostly women. Um, and it's just been enriching being in a space where everyone is welcome to the table. And that, and it's, it's only been about a month, but that I, I have felt myself grow in a, in a way that I, I've, 
I haven't, um, it leaps and bounds more than I have in the mm. past, in the past, uh, six, uh, six to 10 years. And just being around that where there's, where there's no one kind of lording, um, the message or perspectives, right. we're all able to kind of, uh, react to the Bible or the sermon or the conversation through our lens, but if we're able to bring all of our, uh, our dialogue together and, and have conversations. And that has been so empowering, I think to me and even my kids, my kids sit there with us and my son, he's 11 and he even talks back and forth with the pastor. She's given the sermon. It's just, it's just been so empowering to, uh, to be in that space. And that, and that's, and that's what I see. Like, I, I see that now as, um, like that is how it's supposed to be. And, um, just being in this small little space where I'm seeing that happen gives me kind of hope for, you know, our country as a whole. And it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. And as we've seen like recently, you know, politically and with everything, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is something that we can all go through together and see the negative aspects of it with certain people in in power currently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the midterms oh. and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, Just you and I both. get some balance back, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, po- politics is always going to swing back and forth, back and yeah. forth, especially in a country where there, there are really only two main parties, whereas mm-hmm. I come from Australia where the government is a coalition. And even in England, it's, the, it's you know, it's a coalition parliament, even though there are c- certain parties that have traditionally held more power than others. But you know, in a country where it's just like right or left, blue or red, Democratic or Republican, yeah. it's like we we can't rely on that process to dictate how we live our lives. We have to be the ones creating the change in our communities. And like you said, going to a church where you're allowed, your kids are allowed to have dialogue with the, the leaders and the leaders are allowed to be women. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that's where change really begins. And so I, I'm really hopeful that because of the, you know, because of the presidential election, because of the Supreme Court nominee, and because of these just this just ugliness that we've seen—the racism, yeah. the nationalism—that you know the resist movement is going to turn to action. And and I think largely it is. We're seeing a record number of women um, LGBTQ candidates, mm-hmm. and especially women of color, running awesome. for office and winning yeah. um, in local races, state races. And hopefully at a federal level on November 6th, we'll definitely see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, aside from that, I, I hope that, you know, that it is an uphill battle, but I want to remain hopeful. There are days when I'm just like, ah, oh, this is <laughs> Let's just go back to Australia. Um, although there are crazy things happening there as well, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I think it's all, it's up. It is up to us. We can't give up. And that's what this past couple of years has taught me is to focus on the, the community and local races and how, how have you, I know Los Angeles, um, I'm not sure what it, what it's like. I'm, I'm kind of South of LA. I'm in more of, um, uh, inland empire area. So kind of a smaller right. community. So I can kind of see some things, um, you know, it, it is a very, it's a very red area yeah. politically, but, um, but like I said, with with this small little church, we have our the the first um, Temecula Valley Pride Festival is coming up next weekend, or no, this weekend, and it's the first one in this area. Amazing! And, but it wouldn't happen if we if this small little group of people didn't decide to take action 
and start this. And we're, we don't know what's going to happen next, but uh, that's what I, where I've seen real change start. Cause we all kind of think nationally, we all, yeah. you know, Oh, this person's president. Oh, this is happening. Yeah. This is happening. And we can really, it, it can really uh, put a shitstorm on our day for sure. Yeah. But when you change your perspective to the local things, the things that you, the things that you can have control over, I think that's a huge step. And I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people kind of realize that. What are you seeing in, in, uh, in Los Angeles there? Yeah, I definitely think that local is, is a great place to start and is a great place to get like your kids involved. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think there's still a low turnout in a lot of local races I see in Los Angeles. You know, Mm -hmm. I read the LA times in terms of, you know, looking at the results and it's sad that there's still low turnout, um, on a very local level, but you know, people need to know that who who's on the school board is going to affect what your kids are taught in school, whether they're going to have you know, fact-based history taught or whether they're going to have a really whitewashed version. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be comprehensive sex education taught or they're going to have, have abstinence only forced onto them? And where is the funding going to go to? Is it going to go to these private religious schools or is it going to go to public schools that are de- in desperate need of it? And those things, you know, and how are the elderly taken care of? How is your trash taken care of? How is your b- building developments in your area? Um, how is that, you know, being built up? And I think if you start on a local level, it'll give you a better footing because you understand the process of what it takes to be political. And and sometimes the idea of being an activist and organizing is really overwhelming. It's like, where do I start? Well, <laughs> just start on your start on your local block, you know, talking mm-hmm. to people. And, um, you know, it's still intimidating for me, but I think going to my local farmer's markets, there's always a, a local council tent. And I always stop by and see what's going on and what initiatives they're they're um, pushing and it, you know, it's, it's a good place to kind of know your community and feel safe and feel like you're part of the process. So yeah, yeah that's the best advice I can give. Yeah. Well, it's also easier to have those conversations that on the national level can really get partisan and, yeah. and just back and forth, not really solving anything. But if you're in, if you're active in your community, people know you and people know your character yeah. and who you are. And that's what yes. I've started noticing personally is people who I know are Republican they know that I'm, uh, I just registered Democrat this year. Finally, I've been independent forever, but this year I was like, roll up my sleeves, <laughs> do the same. Nice. But they, but they look at me, oh, oh, Sean's a Democrat or, you know, and I'm looking at them like, oh, you're a Republican, but yeah. we've, but we're kind of forced to be around each other because we're neighbors. So we have yeah. these neighborhood gatherings and that's, that has, I've seen so much change, uh, through that, uh, just opening up conversation with someone you think maybe you wouldn't have a good conversation with. If it's someone who knows you and you see them all the time, you're kind of forced to be around each other. Give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you might be and you surprised. See them as a hu- yeah. You see mm-hmm. them as a human being who has all these complexities to their, you know, to their character, just like you do. And I think it, when it comes down to it, the, which party you vote for, which where you register, who you register to vote for, it's just one aspect. And so, yeah, I think there's there's always ways to find common ground. Yeah. That's what I'm doing with my docu series. And I think when it comes to politics, there's always things you can find common ground with with someone who you know maybe votes differently to you. Yeah. So uh, I guess start wrapping up here. But um, I know that you have a TED Talk coming this weekend. By the time people hear this, the TED Talk will have already happened. Yes. So um, so when where can people uh, find find the TED talk. It's a uh, Ted X normal. So I'm, I'm assuming if you, people follow that, they'd be able to find the TED yeah. talk. And, and what, 
what's the TED talk about? Is it about your the 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 um, reproductive rights as well? Yes, it is. So TEDx Normal, it's happening in Normal, Illinois, which is okay. the best name for a city. And their <laughs> kind of tagline is anything but normal. Nice. Um, so it's yeah, there's a there's a TEDx Normal Facebook page and Twitter. And so it's happening on October 27th. And my talk is reframing reproductive rights going beyond pro-choice versus pro-life. So yeah, the same idea behind my docuseries. Um, by the time this is out, it will obviously be, be over and there should be a video out. It'll definitely be on YouTube. It'll be on the Facebook page okay. and I'm pretty sure it'll be on the TEDx.com website. Um, but yeah. I'll keep you updated and send you links, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to kind of share my background and my experience and see what people think. I mean, the whole thing about TEDx talks are like, you know, share your big idea, you know, how do you want to kind of think differently about the world. And so let's see, there haven't been a lot of talks about abortion or reproductive rights, um, less than a handful. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that people, it will challenge people to think and ask questions at least and yeah. have conversations. Perfect. And uh, what else have, so we've talked about Girl Talk HQ, we've talked about uh, uh, Life at All Costs and your TED Talk. Is there anything else that you're working on that uh, that you can let us all know about? Um, I think we basically covered it all. Perfect. I would love people to, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm just at Asha Dyer. You can see all the things that I'm doing with the TED Talk. I'll, I'll, I'll post updates and check out girltalkhq.com. Uh, we also have a, a Twitter and Instagram handle as well. You can look at all our posts. And yeah, I, I, I love to interact with people and uh, I share a lot about reproductive rights and religion and and politics. So, um, yeah, have a conversation with me. I'd love to hear from you. All the things we're not supposed to talk about at a party. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Asha, Daya, thank you so much for talking with me today. And I'm so excited to to just see what you're doing next. And I'm and like I said, I've said it, I've said it throughout this this conversation. I'm so excited once uh, once this docu series starts really churning and just really excited to kind of see what happens and can people can people still uh support it or has that closed down like what's going on can people still kind of help fund in any way right so the the campaign page is still up you can't donate anymore because the that has finished but if right. you go to seedandspark.com and type in life at all costs my campaign will come up and you can hit the blue follow button so you'll get updates about which i post every so often about um, what's going to happen with the series. So if, you, if you're really interested and want to know, you can hit follow. I think you just have to sign up for, okay. which is free. Um, but yeah, you can't, can't donate money anymore. But I, I'd love to kind of have as many people follow the project as possible um, and, you know, share with them as, as it progresses. Do you, uh, it, does any, are, are people, if somebody has a story themselves, would they, would you, are you accepting any sort of, uh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Conversations through that way. Okay. Okay. Definitely. You can either reach me through the Seed and Spark page or hit me up on Twitter and um, DM me or let me know you have a story to share. And I would um, love to hear from you. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Asha, thank, thanks again. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think we'll, be, we'll have to talk again soon. Once this starts uh, coming closer, definitely have you back on to discuss, you know, some of the interviews and, and everything. So I'm really, uh, really looking forward to it. Thanks, Sean. I would like to thank today's guest, Asha Daya, for spending time with me and talking with me about everything that she is involved in. 
please make sure you follow her on social media at Asha Daya on Twitter. You can also go to girltalkhq.com and find everything that she's doing over there. Also in the show notes, you'll see a link to the docuseries that she's working on. Please follow that and keep up to date with that project. I'm, as I've said throughout the whole episode, I am very excited about this, uh, this docuseries. We have a couple episodes left this year. I am working on an interview with Jennifer Knapp. So that should be the next episode. And then we'll have probably one more episode to close out the year. And I will take a break. We'll put season five to a close. I really do want to thank all my patron saints for keeping in touch through Patreon, patreon.com slash the AXPX. I've been trying to do diaries and things like that and uh, the AXPX diaries. We are working on trying to get to some sort of book club. So we'll see how that goes. I need to get to 20 people. I need to get to 20 patron saints. So if you really like what I'm doing here, if you want to be uh, more connected to the Armchair Philosopher, that's a way to do it. Otherwise, just go to theaxpx.com. You'll find everything that you need to know about the show over there. Big thank you to the Candle Park Stars for providing music for today's episode, as well as Slow Dancing Society. You can find all of their music over at theaxpx.com slash music, as well as links to other artists who have lent their music to the show. As always, you can follow me over on Twitter at theaxpx. Also my personal Twitter at Sean C. DeRager. I want to thank all of you for listening, and I will talk to all of you next time. Bye-bye.